Good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning, and welcome back. Welcome back to the Porsche School Podcast. It's Tuesday. It's Owner's Stories Day. Um, I'm recording this on a Monday. It's Monday. I won't. I won't hide the fact that I'm. You know, these are always recorded a little bit in advance, so I always have a uh, Owner's Stories for you. Um, if you haven't been here before, my name is Michael Bath. Uh, this is the Porsche Cool Podcast, and this is Tuesday's episode where I talk to um, other owners, other Porsche owners around the world. It's a great series. I'm really enjoying it. I can't believe, you know, I was telling my wife last night that we're up to number 57. I just can't believe I'm up to 57 in owner stories. It seems, uh, it seems crazy from the very first one with Nick. And I know I've said this before, but uh, it, it's it's a crazy ride to get here. And I've spoken to so many uh, interesting and, and great people and very friendly people. And I've really um, I've really enjoyed making all the connections. And I know I've said that before, but I just wanted to um, say it again. Um, so today I am going to connect uh, via Zoom. All the owner stories are done via Zoom. Uh, I'm going to connect uh, and chat with Jeff. Uh, Jeff is coming from Sydney, actually. Jeff's in Sydney, Australia, a place where I will be back in very, very soon. Those of you who follow my Instagram would have noticed that, yes, I have got a ticket and yes, we are going back to Australia, which is great. Um, Jeff's got a really interesting story. Uh, I've been sitting here for the last 20 minutes uh, reading Jeff's email again and and trying to work out how to fit it all into one into an hour or just over an hour. Um, Jeff's owned a lot of Porsches. I'm going to let him tell you guys. Uh, he's got a few now which are very, very cool. And I think you're really going to enjoy it. And I, I'm, I'm going to probably go in a different direction on this one because I just want to get some... I want your listeners, I want you guys to get the most out of it and I want you guys to get the most out of, of what it's like, uh, what it's like to own uh, that many Porsches and, and what, I guess not what tips, but what advice uh, Jeff can give me, can give you guys if, you, if you're interested on what he looks for and, and, and the process he goes through. Um, but let's get into that shortly. Uh, I've got 10 minutes or so to connect. Let me uh, just make sure my Zoom is working. Let me get Jeff on the line and let's get Jeff to talk about his Porsche Cooled owner's story. Okay, welcome back everyone. Uh, welcome back to Owner's Stories. Um, Jeff and I had a bit of a, um, I did an intro before before Jeff came on, but we've been struggling for the last uh, 30 minutes or so to try and get our systems to work and everything to work properly, but it's working now, so that's great. Uh, this unfortunately is always the, the problem using Zoom and using this sort of uh, format you sometimes have issues. Um, but anyway, apart from that, I want everyone to, uh, I'd like to welcome Jeff to the podcast. Uh, hi, Jeff. How are you? Michael, I'm excellent. Thank you. Lovely day in Sydney. Perfect. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to get, getting back there, that's for sure. And I should tell the listeners, you are from Sydney. Uh, and I did mention it in the um, brief intro that, you know, you've owned a lot of Porsches. I didn't tell everyone how many you've owned. I just said you've owned a lot, so we'll get into that shortly. I'm coming back to Sydney. People who uh, have actually sort of let it out, I'm, I'm going to be back in Sydney on the 20, uh, 19th of November, so I'm really looking forward to getting back to uh, my 911, which is going to need a lot of tender care by um, Autohouse Hamilton, that's for sure. Well, Porsche, Porsche Cool should do a, a, some sort of coffee and car run because we're all dying. We just came out of lockdown last weekend, and I did... Um, uh, two and a half hour run in my Porsche 912 just to try and break in the new engine rebuild that I've been running around and around and around the block. 
Yeah, yeah. We'll get into that. I mean, that's I've noticed everyone in Sydney that I've sort of follow on on Instagram posting there. And I know you're not on Instagram, but posting their their weekend drives because of the because of the lockdown. But let's get straight into it, Jeff, because there's a lot um, there's a lot to talk about. So we like, I always like to start the podcast, and, and you've listened to them before, and you know what it's all about. But I always like to start the podcast about where it all started. You know what I mean? Where the Porsche journey started for you, um, and a lot of the a lot of the listeners. And a lot of people in owner stories as well. A lot of people that started later in life. Um, some people that started when they're a kid because their parents owned a Porsche. How did it all start for you? When did you first noticing Porsche and when did you start thinking, hey, I've, I've, I've got to have one of those? I grew up in Brisbane and my father was uh, a mad car enthusiast. He had uh, Jaguars and uh, when I was in my young teens, my father bought home a Aston Martin DB4, which was a pretty cool car. Anyway, my father's friends uh, all had sports cars, mainly English. Okay. So uh, my uncle Charlie would come over in a 3.8 E-Type, um, and uh, my uncle Steve had a MGB, and of course I was only a young teen, uh, and, but they'd take us for rides in these Lovely old sports cars. Unbelievable. I'd get dropped to school in a DB4 Aston, which was pretty amazing. What did the other kids say when you were getting dropped off in that? Did they know what it was? Um, everyone called it the James Bond car, and um, all my mates wanted to go for a ride in my father's car. And the one thing with my father was he was fairly accommodating. He'd, uh, he'd take the guys to the Aston, and he'd give it a little bit so they could hear the, the bark out of those loopy mufflers. It was... Uh, it was a nice old thing. and um, But what got me started on the Porsche uh, autism spectrum journey was one of the chaps, Dad had a couple of mates he used to work with. Porsches were quite rare in Brisbane. Uh, you didn't see a lot of them. And uh, a chap called Tony, I won't say his last name, but turned up at my father's place in a three-litre uh, turbo and... Uh, uh, it was probably one of the early ones delivered to Brisbane. I'd never seen one before. It was like a spaceship. It was just unbelievable. And uh, So this was a new car, Jeff? This was a new car that your dad's friend bought? It was a brand new three-litre turbo. Probably would have been about, it was an early one. It would have been probably a 7.7. Seven. Wow. And it was in, um, it was purple. And uh, I remember him turning up at our, our place. And like, you know, I'd seen Jags and, other Astons and things, and this this turbo just took my breath away. It was just, you know, for a, a young kid, it was just amazing car, and uh, that was, you know, from that point on, I, I thought, wow, this this is amazing. And for Bruce, for Bruce, and that was a rare car, very rare car. Yeah, very rare, very rare. So, what did you, and what did your dad think about this though? Because your dad's into the Aston. Your uncles, wasn't it? You said yeah. they're into. So everyone's into English cars here. They're into English sports cars, and you start to go. You That's start right. to go in a different direction. Um, was your dad ever interested well, in the German in into Porsches or German cars, or was he really a, a British sort of sports car sort of guy? He was British. My father bought as soon as the Range Rover was released. He bought a brand new two door Range Rover. He had about five in a row. Mum had um, Jaguar Sovereigns and. Uh, Dad would have a classic sports car, but um, no, no, I, I did go down the British route. So I did buy an MGB when I was 17. Okay. And um, that was probably my, you know, I had a Mini Cooper S first, 
Then I had the MGB, which I uh, you know, paid for myself. Then uh, we're talking early 80s. I had made a little bit of money on the stock market with a few lucky tips. Okay. Now, keep in mind, I'm probably I'm early 20s. And okay. um, Let's pause for a second. I, Let's pause for a second, though. Yeah. So, yeah. 77, you see that, that, that turbo. So, at that point... Yeah. At that point, like you said, Porsches are very rare in, in Brisbane. Even in the 70s, you know, not many people are buying 911s, right? That The quantities they sell are quite low. So is that the reason Correct. why you – so it's, it's purely a financial thing. You're, you're just getting into your license. So you, you follow your dad's kind of path and you think, okay, I'm going to go down the English sports car direction. Is that, is that how it was well, for they you? Well, they were affordable. I mean, I, you know, and I know you don't normally talk dollars and cents and money, but, um, you know, you could buy an MGB for, say, $5,000, yeah. and um, I'd save that. So I could afford to buy an MGB, Okay. but um, at the time, uh, Porsches were just, they were, they were a, lot, a lot more than an MGB, so, that, you know, they were unobtainium for me at that time. And there wasn't many on the used market, was there? There wasn't like a, an abundance of used Porsches around. I don't think there were anyway. No, no. But as I said, it, I had a little bit of luck and made some money on the stock market. Yeah. And uh, I was early 20s. And uh, there was a car yard in Brisbane called Raymond Motors. Right. And they had a 1973 uh, 911E in burnt orange. And okay. at the time, it was $28,000. <laughs> wow. And I, I had the money. I had the money. Australian delivered five-speed, black interior. And I had the money. And I said to my father, I want to buy this car. Now, I was still early, early 20s. Um, and my father absolutely did not want me to get that car because he thought I'd uh, probably kill myself in it. <laughs> because, um, you know, it, and he, you know what? Maybe my father was right. <laughs> So I didn't buy that. I didn't buy the Porsche. You didn't buy it, oh, Jeff. That's that's a car to have in your twenties, though. I mean, we you know we say twenty eight thousand now, like it's so cheap. But I mean, then it wasn't. You know, you made some money, but it was still an expensive car, right? It wasn't a cheap car. Well, at the time in Brisbane, you could buy a house uh, like out quite out a bit. You could buy a house for forty five thousand. <laughs> yeah. See, there you go. There you go. But uh, so that was that, that. That didn't happen. That didn't happen. So you see the burnt orange, you're tempted by it, your dad says no way. So what do you do then? What happens next? When, when, when do you come across another one that you want to buy? Uh, fast forward the clock. Uh, I've moved to Sydney. I'm married. I just had my first child. I'd um, got myself established and um, I was in a financial situation that I could uh, – I always had an MG. I've always had an MG. I've still got one. Okay. But um, – I thought to myself, uh, right, now's the time. And I actually tracked down my father's old DB4 Aston with the chap who bought it off my father. Wow. And I approached the guy, and at the time, uh, it, it certainly wouldn't, wasn't cheap, but I had the money and I could buy it. And I had a chat to my father. Now, you know, he's in Brisbane, I'm in, in Sydney. And I said, look, Dad, I've tracked down your old DB4 Aston. I'm going to buy it. And he said, why do you want to buy it? And I said, well, you know, I used to ride that when I was younger and it was a great car. And he said, then he said to me, he said, I think you're old enough now. He said, that was my dream car. <laughs> Go buy your dream car. Oh, that's good. And that's cool. then I decided, well, my dream car was a 911. I'm buying one. Yep. All right. So let's, let's get into that. So 
You skipped on the Aston. What's the first 911? What's the one, the first one that you bought? I bought uh, a 911 SC Targa in Mocha Brown, five-speed, Australian-delivered, um, fairly low mileage. Um, I think it has led a hard life, as in probably stolen and recovered, but I love that car, and I drove it every day. What year did you buy that, 82. Jeff? 82. So that's your oh. first one. So you're, you're oh, in no, your... no, no. The car was an 82, but no, no, I bought the car in the 90s. In the so 90s. It was probably a bit over a 10-year-old car. How were the prices in the 90s of those of the Targas, the SC Targas? Uh, they were cheap. Yeah. Um, especially this one was Mocha Brown. Nobody wanted it at all. I think he was wanting 40000 I bought it for thirty three. Okay, that's good. And the interior was, uh, was it tan brown. or black? Brown. Brown yeah, interior, tan, so it's brown tan, and brown. Brown and brown. Brown and brown. That was, look, um, that was my first Porsche. But I, tell you, I like them today, though. <laughs> oh, the Targa, you know what? I love the Targa. I love the car. It was a great car. Um, it had little seats in the back. At the time, my son, uh, he was only a tiny little fellow, and he could fit in the back seat, which is probably highly illegal now, but we could actually go out in it. But, um, uh, yeah, I love that car. It was a good car. But I used it as a daily company car, just as a runner. Okay, so that's your, your first entry into Porsche. You've got your first Porsche. The dreams come true. Um, you, followed, you, know, you followed your passion from seeing that first, that first turbo when you were a kid. Um, you didn't go down the – well, you did go down the English route. You sort of – you know, you've got the MG like you said. Yeah. How was the experience, though, when you, when you took delivery of that car? Can you, can you take your mind back and think, you know, was it, was it a bit surreal? Was it, was it, was it exciting as, as, as everyone thinks it's going to be when you get your first 911? It was um – it, it was powerful for what it was. They're, they're a fairly light car. They're very lively. I think the thing is I was trying a bit too hard going to Kiama and I lost the back on it um, right. at Kiama and uh, that gave me a hell of a scare. And everything that kept going into my head at the time as, as the back's going out was everyone had said, put your foot into it, which I did. I actually accelerated and it kicked the back back in. But that car scared me in the fact that um, – I think the car was probably more than I was. Right. So you're in but the that 90s. Was, that was, yes. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Well, I, I, like I said, I used it as a company car, and I think I ran it until I nearly put 100,000 uh, kilometers on it, and then I bought another one. You bought another one. You're not tempted to keep that and, and, and start the collection and have more than one Porsche. So you, you, you trade it up. What, what is the next? It was brown. It's brown. So you think, okay, I'm going to get a more popular color. What is the next? I mean, we we don't have time to go through all the all the all the sixteen that no, you've no, owned, no. sixteen well, you've owned. But what was the next? So then you sell that one. What's the next memorable one that you bought? Um, well, the next one that I bought after that, I'm not going to go through all of them. But this is interesting in the fact that it's currently for sale at the Classic Throttle Shop right now. The oh, really? next car I bought, yes, and it's, it was a summer yellow '87 <laughs> Cabriolet with a G50 gearbox. Jeff, I was looking at that yeah. yesterday. I was looking at that yesterday and thinking, why has this car sat there for so long? Because I like, I, I, I quite like that in the in the Cabriolet, the convertible of that that model. And you know that summer yellow color has really come of age. You know what I mean? Like it's, and it looks in beautiful condition. And the price is actually reasonable compared to other G50s, right? Very reasonable. It's very reasonable. I um, 
Same thing. That car was the sale of the car yard uh, at Roselle on Victoria Road. I think it was uh, Len Vine. Yes, yes. And they had I think fifty five thousand on it, and um, I'd already sold the, the Targa because I thought I'd be better off having the money. And look, at now as then, Porsche sold okay. You know, there was no problem to sell them. So I walked into them and said, "Look, uh, it's yellow. No one wants it." Yeah. And I bought that car for forty seven thousand. Wow. Uh, and it was it was a great car. Never gave me a day of grief. It was just just a really nice thing to drive. I never drove it with the roof down unless my son or daughter said, "Dad, put the roof down." Other than that, I just drove it every day with the roof up. But it never never missed a beat. That that is actually a really good car. So someone's looking for a nine eleven and they want they want the you know eighty seven eighty eight you know G fifty or whatever. So you think the Cabriolet is a good choice for someone because everyone goes for the hard top. Everyone wants a coupe. Well, I, I was the same but because... Is it underrated? Yes, it is underrated. I had a, I bought an 89 coupe straight after. I had the yellow one for three years and I bought an 89 coupe, a red one. So but everyone calls it Guards Red, but by 89, I think they call it Indian Red. It looks like Guards Red. But right. I bought a, a Guards Red, non-sunroof, five-speed, black trim, Australian-delivered, really low mileage, Um. And I think I sold the yellow one for fifty, and I paid sixty-five for the eighty-nine coupe. So I did what everyone seems to want to do. Yeah, but don't you think the price of that of your, you know, the of the Cabriolet now, the one that uh, Classic Throttle has? I know it's expensive, and people think you know one hundred and forty is a lot, but comparatively, I think it's actually quite okay price. Don't you think? I mean, it looks in beautiful condition still. It looks in really good condition. Yes, no, I don't think the car's ever had any grief, and I think it, I think it is a really good buy. There's there's nothing wrong with Cabriolets at all, nothing at all. Um, everyone wants the purity of line of a coupe, and you know I understand that. But for me, at the time, I just used them as cars, but really good cars. I love them, but uh, yeah, I wasn't thinking of collectability or anything like that. There was nothing like that. It was just I would run them to a hundred thousand kilometres and sell them. It's the enjoyability of it, isn't it? And that's, I think that's the thing, the trend today where people are, you know, I know people buy with their heart, but sometimes you miss these cars that are underrated, you know, and like I said, that one sat there for a while. There's another one at Richmond's as well in, in um, Adelaide, I think, isn't it? Richmond's in Adelaide, who they have a silver 993 Cabriolet for sale, which looks pretty good as well at about the same price as, as that um, one that you used to own at Classic Throttle. Both cars have been yeah. sitting there for, for a little while. The, the 993 actually for quite some time and it still still hasn't sold. So there are, there are cars out there. It's just that everyone wants what, I guess, what everyone else wants at the moment. That's kind of the trend. Um, but yeah. So, yeah. Um, so let's, let's see, you know, on the podcast and you've listened to many episodes, you know, like I'm, and I said it to you, I think, briefly before we started recording, you know, I, I'm just an enthusiast, right? I'm not an expert of, of any, yeah. any caliber. And I think, you know, that's what a lot of the listeners are like and they want to learn from it. And that's why I think we, you know, we all have a love of Porsche. It doesn't matter if you own one or if you own 20 or, or whatever it is or you own three, you know, amazing cars today, which I think your, your three cars are pretty amazing cars. And when we get into it, people will realize, and they've probably seen it in the title already, you know, and you've got this... You know, you've got this wealth of experience. You know, I like how you just said, you know, the memorable car, one of them is that is that Cabriolet. I think that's that's interesting because most people wouldn't pick that as a memorable car, but you did. Well, here's a very interesting point for you. And I, I've been thinking, because look, I'm like every other enthusiast. I'm always looking, always thinking. And I've, yeah, I've got a, 
my 912, which is a right-hand drive, five-speed, short wheelbase, um, and it's probably worth a bit. And I, I've been thinking of uh, maybe if I got rid of that to buy something like that yellow Cabriolet type vehicle. That's oh, right. Because they are such a good car. Don't tell me you're selling that 912, Jeff. It makes me. It makes me think. It makes me think <laughs> no, how I'm going no. to get the money together. Oh no, it, no, I'm not. I'm not there to try to tempt you to buy my Especially Let's get. Let's get into that. But okay. So, so you've. You, you know, you, you're going along your Porsche journey. You know, you had. Uh, you have an SC Targa. You get the G50 Cabriolet. Let's let's go to another one. Let's go to another one. Let's yeah, go to certainly. another one. Not um, the not the current cars you have, but let's go to another one along the journey. Another one that you that that is a memorable one for you. Another one that maybe you know you. Let's just say maybe it's a regret. Let's just say that maybe you regret selling and you wish you well, could have it back. I can tell you which car that was. Yep. When I had the eighty nine uh, coupe, I'd never considered really anything. You know, like a, let's call it classic. You know, three five six nine twelve. I'd never considered anything like that. And a friend of mine had a 356C. Okay. Uh, and silver. Anyway, he, he was a bit of a lad and he got done the drink driving and trying to outrun the, the cops in the 356C. Okay. So what would happen was he lost his license for 12 months and he would say, look, Jeff, could you take me for a drive in my car um, just so I can get the wheels moving on it so I started to drive his 356C with him on weekends just so I could get some exercise. And I thought to myself, there, there's something about these cars that, yeah. that, that was completely different to my 911s. So that led to the car that I probably regret selling, which was a, I bought an Australian-delivered 356C 1965 model, light ivory with black trim, uh, optional chrome wheels, and it was just, Nice. Uh, totally original. Never been restored, never wow. been painted. It was just, and I paid 48000 for that car, and it was just wow. wonderful. 48000 wow. Yeah. yeah, this is the thing. Yeah. 356s, um, I don't know. I've been, I've been resisting them, and now I, I, just, I just can't stop keep looking at them. I keep looking at them all the time. Um, and I think I mentioned in a previous podcast, you might have heard it. I'm, I think I heard Seinfeld in talking on Spike's Car Radio about he thinks the 356C is the is the perfect, almost the perfect um, Porsche um, or the perfect 356. Well, you asked which one I regret selling. But, yeah. Um, when I, I started my company and um, I, sold, I sold all my Porsches, I sold the, the Coupe, I sold the C because I needed to raise every cent I could at the time to, to I, was, I had been consulting and I decided to set up my own business, uh, right. not consulting and from that point on, the cars went, but yeah, not for too long. Not for too long. Let's get into that. So, three five six um, regret three five six C. People are sorting. I mean, obviously, they're not that much. They're not that price today. They're a lot more than that. Um, no, beautiful no. looking car. Um, finessed over how many years was it? Sixteen years or something, wasn't it? The first three five six was forty eight or something, wasn't it, or forty nine, somewhere like that. The the thing with the three five sixes. They only made seventy-five thousand in their total production run. Yeah, and if you look at the production run of Porsche these days, they'd probably make more than that in three months. Yes. So, vehicles like three five sixes, 
Australian delivered three five sixes. This is part of my uh, spectrum. I can quote numbers. Uh, <laughs> That's anyway, good. there was only four hundred delivered to Australia. Wow. So people are looking for that. Now that's just three five sixes. That's of all types. Yeah. So they're looking for the unicorn three five six. Well, the, you know, it must be Australian delivered, matching numbers, the colour I want, um, or it doesn't matter. If it's an early nine eleven or nine twelve. They're very hard to find. Yeah, they are. They are, um, and more so today, of course. So let's let's move. You know, you sent me in, in your email, and I just want to tell the listeners. You know, you you said in your email something like about how. You know, you think the listeners will get a lot about the research, how you research the Porsche history on your cars yeah. and the process well, you I follow. I might use but... one of my cars as an example um, and, that, and then they can see how what I do and it, it doesn't matter if it's an old 356 or 912 or if it's a, a current model, model. You know, I, I had a Boxster S and um, I, I do the same thing with every car I buy. I pretty much go to the ends of the earth to get its full history back with the car because um, it, it's, I think it's important. These cars are important and the history is important. So with your permission, I could probably maybe use the 912 as an example. Yeah, we can do that. Let's just, I just want to introduce the listeners, though, to the cars that you have now. Right, because I think, and we can start okay. with the. Was the nine twelve the first one you acquired out of the three you have now, or was it the not the first? No, out of the three that I have now, the um, Speedster was the first one I acquired. Okay, so let's let's just do it in the progression. Let's just go in the progression, and then we'll get to the nine twelve, and we can go in a bit deeper. So you've gone through sure. your Porsche journey. You've had sixteen Porsches, right? You've had sixteen Porsches. Nineteen. 19, 19, yeah, no, but at, until, apart from these three that you currently own, oh, you've had, you've had, yes, yeah, yes, you've yes, had 16. Yes. So then you get into yes. the 17th, and the 17th one is, you know, you just you just mentioned it then, and you know, it, it's a very special one. Um, tell the listeners what the number 17 was. Yeah, it's a uh, made in '56, but considered a '57 model, uh, 356A Speedster, uh, right-hand drive. In uh, Weiss, which is white, so not white ivory, but Weiss, with uh, red trim, uh, plus it has a hard top. That's about the only option. Now that's a that's you know that's a that's a very special car. Um, everyone that listens to the podcast, and I'm I'm guessing all the guys that I've spoken to with three five sixes are going, wow, um, that's a very special car. So you mentioned to me that you. Had it is under restoration. How did you just just tell the listeners briefly how you found that car? Because it's a Japanese delivered car. So how did you find it? Yes, Jeff? it is Japanese. And when did you find it? How long ago? And how long is the the restoration process taking? I think I bought it ten years ago. That car. Um, the restoration only started a few years ago. Um, it was a friend of mine. It was a it was a, a Porsche three five six friend of mine uh, that we swapped parts and. Have a bit of a chat, just and, and I'd sold him some engine parts for the speedster. He bought it nearly forty years ago, oh, wow. dismantled it, and, and left it in pieces. Right. And he decided at some stage he was going to put it back together. I'd sold him some engine pieces, and um, I went to send them down to him, and he said, "Look, just keep them there for the moment." I said, well, "That's unusual. Why do you want me to keep your engine bits?" And he said, "Oh, I'm not not real well at the moment." And uh, he, I didn't know, but he was fighting cancer. He right. was in another state. 
Anyway, uh, probably a month later, he called me and said, look, uh, I don't think I'm getting any better. Would you be interested in maybe, you know, purchasing the Speedster? Okay. And I said to him, I said, look, I don't think I could afford it. And that was the truth. I didn't think I could afford it. And he says, well, why don't you come down and we'll have a chat and you never know. So I went and had a chat. We spent the day and um, the problem with the car, it had been pulled apart for so long, there were some bits missing and this and that, but it was 90% there. Right. Someone had stolen, stolen the steering wheel, so they took the whole steering column with the steering wheel. Okay. Things like that. But it had the soft top frame, soft top. Uh, he bought a lot of bits, brand new in boxes. Um, it had it had the optional hard top. Wow. Other than that, the car wasn't delivered with any options. Um, funnily enough, it wasn't really rusty, but she had a tap in the back at some stage and been repaired probably in the 60s. We spent the day together. At the end of the day, he says, look, I've had the car so long, um, I just don't think I can part with it. And I said, that's fine. It's your car. I, you know, had a yeah. great day. It was all good. Two weeks later, he calls me again and he says, I'm in palliative care. I went, oh, God, that's mm. not good. Okay. And, and he said, look, um, I've decided uh, if you'd like to buy the car, could you come and get it and just give the cash to my wife? Um, and I said, well, we haven't even got a price. And anyway, I won't divulge the price, but let's just say I paid for it roughly what you'd pay for a 356 coupe restoration project. Wow. Which was... At, at the time, this is some years ago, uh, well, anyway, it was under $30,000 I paid for that car. Wow. 10 and that, years ago. That was a mate's deal. Mate's deal. 10 and years ago, but that was a mate's deal. Yeah, and also yeah. he knew that you would look after it. He knew you were, you know, you would you would follow it through. So you haven't, so have you actually driven the car? Like you said it was in pieces. Do you do oh, a, no, a, no. It was in pieces when I bought it. We, I think I sent a photo of you when we had it ditched. Yeah. Uh, so it was so far pulled apart, we dipped it to see how bad the, if there was any problem with the body. Remarkably, the body is actually very good. Um, so uh, I kept it for some years and just collected parts, and I got everything that was missing. Okay. And I sort of got three of things because I, I, I've got two sets of bumpers and two sets of brakes <laughs> and three windscreens. And, you know, um, another mate had a, a speedster steering wheel because they're a different diameter, so I got that off him. And you just... Collect and collect and collect. I think I've got five pallets of spares for that car. Wow! So you, um, so, so Jeff, you yeah. get all you get all the parts together, and then you decide, okay, now it's time to do this restoration. Is that what you do? So you've got all your parts. Well, at the time, at the time, the guy that I who does my long term restoration works from home. He just finished the three five six coupe for me, so I was waiting for him to finish that. He normally takes four years, right? So he'd finished the coupe, and. Um, that was the next one that we were going to do. So that's why I had it. How many 356s have you owned? Uh, I've never added it up. It's probably 10 <laughs> or 12. How many? 10 or 12, I don't know. I, 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 so it's, some, it's a car that you really do love then. You've owned, out of all the cars you've owned, you've owned 10 or 12 356s. Yeah, that's correct. Okay, so you've got the pinnacle, you've got the speedster, um, you know, and I, you know, it's no secret I listen to Spike's car radio and I listen to Zuckerman talk about his 356 speedster. And I think at one point he said that the restoration process was basically what he paid for the car. So I think it was basically another 250000 or something just to fix the car up. Well, that's a very good point. The cheapest part, if you're doing cars of that level, is buying the car. 
The dearest part is the restoration. So, for example, the thing that took that speedster off the road back in the day was its gearbox. She basically ran out of oil and she fried the gears. Right. So I've uh, had um, a late model 741, which is a 356C, right. uh, internals put in the case of the speedster with speedster gears. So I had the whole gearbox rebuilt, but with speedster gears, but with a later model internals. Okay. Um, but just that exercise alone, um, I had to buy a complete transaxle to get the, the slave internals. Then we had to rebuild that. Wow. You know, you could, I, I think I spent 15000 just on a transaxle to build a bulletproof, lovely transaxle. You know, this is what you, you – you take these cars on, buying them is probably the cheapest part of it. So in Australia, though, I mean, obviously in the US and LA and stuff, there's plenty of people, you know, and UK and stuff, plenty of people that do 356 restoration. And I'm going to refer back to this episode when I heard him say it because you'll know more about this. He said that the longest part of the restoration process, the thing that took a long time, was the people that do the body work. Because it's so specialized and they have certain people that do the body work, that's what eats up your years of these restorations. And then you've got to wait in the queue for the next person to, you know, one car to finish before yours can slot in. How do you, in, in, in Australia, are you getting this done in Sydney? Is this, this the person that you said that works from home fixing it for you? How do you find the right person to bring this back to life? The person who's doing the speedster has done three of my 356s in the past. But I, really, you get to know who's good at what. Yeah. Um, but the, the thing is with these older vehicles is you become a very good product, uh, like, like a, a project manager. And right. um, yes. I'm very good at – I can put a 356 back together and I can pull it apart and I know exactly all the bits. So I know them really well. But uh, I, I can't paint the body or fix the body, so I've got a guy who will do that for me. But yes. once I'll get the bare body shell back and I'll put it all back together myself I, because no one loves your car more than you do. Yep. So uh, after doing so many of them, I – and I, look, I – I'm not a professional restorer. I'm just a project manager, but but with assembly skills. Okay. And that's um, – so then that might get us on to car number two. Would you like to talk about the next one? Yeah, we will. So under restoration, how many more years do you think it's got before you'll be driving it around uh, Sydney? Um, I have said to the chap doing it for me that I really want it back within the year. Because if he doesn't give it back to me within a year, I'll do something silly and buy another car. (laughs) (laughs) You'll buy another 356. I'll buy something. I'll buy something, yeah. Okay. So at the end of the day, I've got to scratch that itch. Yeah. To me, the speedster for me is a pinfall, yeah. Oh, it's great. Especially in that color. It's not in the ivory. It doesn't have the yellow tone in the paint. It's in in white. It's in like pure white almost, right? Which is actually really cool. It's, it's basically, I, I call it refrigerator white. But yeah. with the red trim, nice. um, I'm going nice. to do, uh, there's a basically a, a charcoal metallic that was a genuine 56356 color. I'm going to do the hard top in that for a little bit of contrast. Okay. But other than that, the car will be just stock standard, uh, back to original. Yeah, there's something really nice about 356s in white and black. I don't know. I just I think those two colors are just it, it just work. The shape just seems to work so well. I don't know whether you see more of the shape, but it always. Uh, it, it, I think they're the best two colors in my opinion. In my opinion, I mean silver looks okay, but I think white and black is are the ones. So this was a Japanese delivered car. We're not going to get in this too deep, but the Japanese delivered car. Have you actually? Sure. 
before your friend purchased the car, have you tried to find any history of this car as well? Is that something you've been researching? Uh, uh, yes, I've done a little bit of research on the car. Um, I, I do know that there's some people on the forums that have been looking for this particular car. Um, you know, that's in the past. But there were two delivered uh, in right-hand, like Japan also got left-hand drive cars. You know, uh, there was a US serviceman there at the time. But yeah. My car plus a sister car were delivered for the um, Tokyo Motor Show. And uh, the other one is also Weiss, which I think must be to do with Jap- Japan's colour. You know, like the, I think what, that's one of their colours. Yeah. And uh, it's got red trim, but it was optioned with a bench seat. Mine's just got standard speaker seats. It was a normal too. So, and it's the next chassis number to mine. Uh-huh. Um, that car is now in the States from what I can gather. But other than that, I believe my car was in Japan for only two or three years. I can't tell you how it got to Australia, but it may have been a diplomat. I don't know. Right. And it's been it's very difficult to track the car, but I've got the build spec, which is basically not much because <laughs> it yeah, didn't yeah. really get an option. Okay. But, uh, so you've got this is this is Porsche number seventeen. You've got the nineteen fifty six fifty seven model. I think you said three five six speedster, right hand drive, and then you think, okay. Um, what else am I going to get? So what, what's the next one, Jeff? Keeping in mind, I've had 356s all along. Yes. I had a, a, an Oslo Blue 62 Australian-delivered matching numbers, little 356B. Oh, right. Wow. 75. Uh, yeah, so it's called a Super. Yeah. Anyway, that car, um, uh, and I'll say Ronnie Goodman from Exclusive Body Works painted yes. the body. Um and it was magnificent. I mean, it was probably the best paint job I've ever seen. And uh, I put it back together. Um, uh, the car was completely, you know, it was just an amazing car, wonderful history. I put, I took that to the Nationals, oh, I don't know, maybe four, five, six years ago. I can't remember. Right. And um, it won the, um, the Porsche champion outright out of every 356 that was entered. So it was... Uh, it was the best car in Australia at the time. So that was great. <laughs> um, but what it was is one of my customers, that little blue car was his dream car. Okay. So uh, I said to him, let's go for a Zoom to Akuna Bay and have a coffee. And you can drive your dream car because I think people should, you know, you should have friends and family drive these cars because down the track they can be the people you're selling them to. Yep. <laughs> True. Anyway, he had an uncle who was retired who had a, a 911. And the, every time we could go, we'd always have a coffee and a chat. And I'd say, oh, how's your uncle's 911 going? So we went for a drive. He drove to Akuna Bay. We had a coffee. We're sitting there. and I said, how's your uncle's 911? And he says, oh, the uncle's going to sell a 911 uh, to the next-door neighbour, but the next-door neighbour is stuffing around uncle. Right. Uncle was Peter. So I said, well, can I have the uncle's phone number? Now, the uncle was in Benora Point, which is up near the border of New South Wales and Queensland. So it's probably a 1,000 kilometres from Sydney. Yes. I get four scratchy photos of this car sent to me by my friend, not by Peter. And the vehicle is a 1973 uh, Australian-delivered 911 uh, Coupe uh, TE, no sunroof, five-speed, it's... At the time, bright red, non-matching engine. She had a, a three-litre SC motor in the back. So let's call it a little bit of a hot rod. But it, if they hadn't played the guards, it was pretty much standard except it had been painted. Okay. 
So I rang the uncle, we had a chat, and I said, look, I've seen the photos of the car, I'm interested. And he says, oh, really? And he says, well, I've promised it to the next door neighbour. I said, right, but she's stuffing me around. I said, yeah, I heard that. And he said, well, if you were interested to buy it, how quick could you pay for it? <laughs> and I said, well, I could probably pay for it immediately. Right. And he said, okay. And um, he said, well, uh, I'll call you back. And, and I didn't know what he was doing. So, okay, he gave me his, I gave my number to him. He walked next door to the next door neighbour. And he said to the next door neighbour, well, I've got a guy from Sydney who will buy my 911. Why is it taking me so long to do the deal? And she says, oh, I've got the money. It just didn't suit me to buy it immediately. So he said to her, well, uh, you're now second reserve. I'm ringing that guy back in Sydney. Really? So he rang me. And, it, and remember, I'd only seen four photos. I hadn't seen a photo of the interior. I had a photo of the front, the back, and each side. That's it. Wow. But I thought, well, you can't go too far wrong. It's a 73 Australian Limited 911. What? And... Um, Sorry, Jeff. What is, and this probably might be a stupid question. What is TE when you said TE coupe? It's not a 911 okay. T. It's not a 911 E. It's a T. What is that? Well, okay, it is a T. But okay. What they did right right near the end is what they call a seventy three point five. So it's right near the end of the small bumper production. Okay. And at the time, uh, for the US market, they were putting. Uh, what's it called? Um, the, the, they're putting fuel injection on on the T's. Okay. So normally a T would be carburetted. Yes. But E is for injection. Now, supposedly there were no TEs ever sold to Australia. Well, that's not quite right because mine was. Right. So there was one, and that was mine. And um, that's what a T is. So it's a T, okay. but it's, it's a fuel injected T. But they went to the new fuel injection. Yes. which is what they ran on the 2.7s and the 3 litres all the way through. So it's the new injection as well. Because I've heard that mentioned before, that a 73.5 is actually the pick. I don't know whether that's in the 911S, but I've, I've read about it and I've heard people talk about it, that the 73.5 is, is a special car. Is that true? Um, look, my car has got, you know, it's got some really good stuff to it. And I know you normally ask, could you please explain this? The specs of the car. Yeah, I want you to explain that actually. Yeah. Yeah. The specs were the car was uh, tourist delivered. So it was picked up at the factory by the first owner. It was ordered new via Chateau Motors South Australia. The first owner was a lady called Elizabeth Rohan, who sadly passed away. But um, she came from a, a very well known named family. I won't say the name, but it's a, uh, her maiden name. She bought the car herself. Uh, she ordered it in aubergine, which is dark purple, yep. with beige uh, leatherette, with um, corduroy inserts. Nice. It was optioned with uh, full S appearance group. Okay. It was also optioned with the alloy wheels. Uh, it was. Um, it had electric aerial front sway bar. Uh, only a single review mirror. Anyway, um, that's what it was originally. When I looked at the car, it had um, uh, a, basically a guard's red paint job and a three litre in the back. Uh, anyway, when oh, the... right. So it was a hot rod and I bought it. Oh, right. It was a hot rod. So they actually changed the colour as well. You know, that you just said no, it was no. a... You she, just said she, it... she, she... 
the first owner changed the colour. Oh, the first owner? Yes. She had it professionally repainted red. Okay. She had it aubergine for some reason. She had it colour changed, the first owner. So when I say hot rod, they, yeah. all they've done is put tombstone seats in it. Yes. A Momo steering wheel. Yes. Uh, Seven-inch wide rims on the back, but the guards were still standard. So the skinny tyres with fat rims. Okay. Um, and she had a SC three-liter in the in the back of it. And that was it. That was the amount of hot rodding. Do you think the SC yeah. the SC three-liter in the back was because the original engine had a problem, and it was just one of those things where they just swapped out the engine with something else that you know was in a shop or something, or you think it was actually intentional that that she wanted this bigger engine? Well, this is when we're going to talk about researching your history. So yeah. to finish the story on buying the car, he called me back and said, if you're serious, Jeff, I'll sell you the car. Okay. And I said, well, you haven't told me a price. Um, now, this is probably four or five years ago. And he said, I want $65,000 for it. And I nearly <laughs> fell off the chair. Yeah. And... Um, I said, I can transfer that to you. And he said, oh, no, 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 I've got a small loan to pay and I want the rest in cash. So uh, I ended up uh, paying off a small loan for him, which was right. 29000 Right. And I hopped in a plane and flew up to Benora Point, which is 1,000 kilometres from Sydney, caught a cab from Coolangatta Airport to his place right. with a backpack with the balance in cash. I walked in. He opened the door of the garage, and the thing was in really nice condition. It was a lovely car. It um, had personalised plates that had been on there since the seventies, which uh, were very cool. uh, ITS nine eleven. Yeah, yeah, so, no, very cool. Very cool, and they were on there. That was part of the deal. I hopped in it, turned the key, and drove a thousand kilometres home in the car without See, missing a beat. I don't know. Is that is that? You know, you, there's a lot of trust there, right? Of course, it's your friend that told you about it, and, and you know, you've you've handed over money. You haven't even seen the car. Like you said, you got a few scratchy photos, and it worked out. It turned out okay. okay. Would would you recommend that way of buying a, a nine eleven today, though? Would you? I mean, this was only five years ago, so it's not a long time ago. But there's a I'll lot of trust. There's a lot of trust there, right? That's because of your friend. Um, look, what's the worst that can happen? Uh, and look, I, I look. It, I know sixty-five thousand is a lot of money, you know, in the scheme of things. But <laughs> not not for a, a nine eleven team. <laughs> not for a nine eleven team. No, you're not going to get hurt at that sort of level. So yeah, I, I true. Didn't think that, even if it, even if it was a fiberglass body, I, you know, as long as it, the, the compliance plate was there, I was probably going to be okay. Yeah. But the car was better than I expected. That's fantastic. I love these stories, though. You know, this this was a tourist delivery, like you said. This this person, this, this woman ordered this car in 73. It was a tourist delivery, like you said. And she ordered it, you know, she picked the color aubergine, and then she decides to change it to, to red. You know what I mean? Like, the story behind yeah. that in itself, that, you know, this was something that she chose, and then she thought, okay, I need something. I want to change, you know? It's like changing a T-shirt well, or something. Well, she wanted to change a couple of years later. Yeah. 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 Um, the, the thing was, when I bought that car, of course, I said to him, I said, do you have any receipts or anything? And he says, oh, I've got a cardboard box. I don't know what's in that. He pulled the cardboard box out and it had all the log books, all oh, the service books. Fantastic. A bit of paper they give you when you get a tourist delivery vehicle to say how to read the road signs in Germany. It was just amazing. <laughs> it was all there. So is that is so, this a keeper? Uh, this is restored, right? So what, what, what color – 
it's not red anymore though, is it? Did you did you restore no, this I one? I put it back to all machine. But look, with this car, I do track all its history, and I track back a few owners. Uh, one of the owners, and that's the thing. I you, some of the tricks are with the distinctive number plate like that. I found uh, you, you can go to the Sydney Morning Herald archives and find if it's been advertised before, which it was. I okay. found when she sold it, so I have a copy of that. But I tracked the owners, and um, one of the owners was from just the phone number that was in an old advertising that I found online uh, at the Herald uh, you know, archives. Right. And you talk to these people, and I tracked down one of the owners. He passed away, but his wife was at Borkham Hills, and she was still alive, and she said, wow, you've got Ron's old car? And I said, yes. And she said, the back shed is all those pieces that he pulled off that car. Could you come over and please pick them up? Really? Wow. And I said, really? So <laughs> I went over there and um, and she had the original seats. Yes. The, the seats that had been pulled out, she had the seats. Yeah. Rear view mirror, seat belts. Wow. Um, radio, the, the Frankfurt Blaplonk radio. Wow. Uh, what a just, find. Um, anyway, she wouldn't. So with all of these parts, she wouldn't take any money. She said, you're doing me a favour getting rid of all this old junk, oh. uh, including the original spare wheel that was there as well. She just wanted it and, out of there. Um, She'd just been holding it for so long and just thought, now you're going to take it away. You're saving me. I took her over bunches of flowers. I took her to lunch. I took yeah. her chocolates. I took. She wouldn't take any money, but I... I took her for a ride in the car. Oh, that's nice. I went round to both both her daughter's place and um, took all the grandkids for a ride in granddad's old car. Oh, that's good. Just anything I could do for a, I did. Yeah. Um, but yeah, tracking the history on that car, it all just came back together. And uh, so the main part of that car, this is the this is the crux of the story on that nine eleven, was of course it's not matching numbers. Right. In the receipts, I could see that the motor had been swapped out in the early 80s. In fact, right. it was the detective who'd done it because it was smoky and he'd swapped it out with Bob Wim. So the three-litre came from Bob Wim uh, Auto. I rang Bob, who I know, and he says, Jeff, you're talking 1980-something. I can't remember what happened to <laughs> Yeah. So undeterred, I... Uh, you can actually do a freedom of information. This is what your people, what people need to know. You can do a freedom of information and um, get a letter sent to the current owner of a certain engine number out there. I know it sounds unbelievable. This is true. Or right. you can use other methods. But I managed to track down who had the motor in a car last. Oh, right. And the, the motor had been uh, in a car and the thing was, the registration was very distinctive. Right. And um, as soon as I Googled the registration, it was a historic Porsche rally car. Right. Anyway, the rally car was looked after by Grant at Auto House. Oh, really? So I ring Grant and said, Grant, by any chance, would you have a 2.4 out of a 73911 engine number, blah, 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 blah. And he says, what car's it out of? And I said, I told him the name of, the last registered owner. Yeah. And I said, you know, you, you know, you look after this, this chap's cars. And yep. It's a historic rally car. And he says, well, he's got five spare motors for that car. And uh, Grant kindly rang me back and said, Jeff, we have your motor here. 
I hopped straight oh, in. Really? A... So you got the original motorbike? Yes, I did. Wow. I hopped in a car, drove straight over to uh, Auto House at yep. Chatswood, and I said to Grant, and I, I took the 911. I drove the 911 there. Wow. And I said, Grant, I've got to have that motor. And he says, well, this chap, um, he actually lives in New York. He, he doesn't need any money. He doesn't sell anything. And um, But I said, he's got five, five motors. <laughs> yeah, well, Just the motor hadn't one. run for 12 years. Right. The last time it run, it did the uh, London to Sydney rally all right. through Africa. The, the motor had been done up to the nine by Auto House, so it's got all the best business. She's yep. got RS uh, 2.7 barrels, uh, Carello rods. It's got everything. Beautiful. Anyway, I said to Grant, I said, what's the motor worth as an unknown, not run for 12 years, sitting on the ground there? And he says, uh, you know, people pay you know, for an unknown quantity. And I pulled out 10 grand cash and I said to Grant, I said, tell you a chap who's in New York. He's an Australian who lives in New York. Yeah. When he comes back, there's some walking around money. If you please kindly sell the poor bastard that motor. Yeah. And the owner of the motor liked the story and he liked the fact that it was going to go back to the original car yeah. and he accepted my 10 grand and I bought the original matching number motor back for that uh, 73. Fantastic. And that's what's in the car today. Well, it's in the car. Yeah, actually, it's in the car today because I, I left. We've had that motor rebuilt, like, you know, pulled apart. It was all the good stuff. Yep. Um, I use a – I'll keep it private, but a very, very good mechanic. Um, he works from home. That motor is absolutely beautiful. I wasn't going to put it back in the 911 because the 911 is a lot of fun with the three-liter in it. Right. And um, a friend of mine has a 69 911S right-hand drive English delivered and he graciously offered me a drive of that car and when I drove a car with a smaller capacity um, that smaller capacity motors will wind SC motors are lovely motor but they don't wind like the early girl motors right and that made up my mind so uh, we pulled the three liter out of it and we've just put in the original matching number motor back into the car oh, that's so great. I haven't driven it with the original motor yet oh right even right. though I've driven that car quite a lot I've driven that car I've driven the wheels off that car, but yeah. I haven't driven it with the original motor. No. So what did you do with the um, three-liter that was in it? You holding on to that one? No, I sold it. Sold it. Um, and that's the thing. I paid, I paid 10000 for the motor, yeah. uh, the original matching numbers, and a friend of mine uh, really wanted the three-liter because the three-liter was quite healthy, Yep. and uh, I sold it, yes. Wow. All right. A great story. So that's a 1973. That's a 911 um, TE, TE right-hand drive. Let's get into yeah. into my favourite, as everyone knows. Um, I keep arming and ahhing and going backwards and forwards, but I still want one. the The next car. What did you get next? What is number number nineteen? Nineteen sixty seven short wheelbase nine twelve right hand drive uh, in polo red with red trim. Oh, with black trim. Sorry. Uh, option from you with five speed. Uh, it was also option with Koenig shock, shock absorbers. Extended hub steering wheel, leather covered, and um, I think that's about it. So, when did you get that one? When did you get the nine twelve? And you sent me images of it. I'll tell the listeners it's beautiful. Uh, it really is. And, yeah. And everyone knows I'm not a big red fan, but I, 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 there's an exception when it comes to the the red in the nine twelve. It actually does look really cool in the polo red. When did you acquire that one, Jeff? Oh, I'm not. I'm not a red fan either. I'd rather any other colour but red. Um, but at the end of the day. 
with these cars, you buy what's there. And um, what happened with that car was that was actually it was a friend of mine who owned it. Um, and at the I only bought that car April last year. Okay. And it was the start of COVID. Yep. So COVID hit in February. He was retired. He has a couple of Porsches, but his wife was still working. Anyway, due to COVID, she wasn't working anymore and uh, he had to change his life. So one of the Porsches had to go. And yep. um, I heard a whisper through some of my mates, and I, and I know him, and I'd actually ridden in the 912 before. I know the car. But um, uh, I called him up and said, well, look, you know, can we have a chat? And we did. So the thing was, he'd owned the car for 32 years. Yes. And in 32 years, I think he'd spent $1,200 on it. That was it. Wow. It That's needed – it, it was still club registered. It was running. Yep. But – it really needed a, a lot of love, and uh, I'm not worried to say the price. Uh, this was a COVID purchase, which is interesting. And I yep. think even then, 912s weren't really that well, big a deal. I don't I, think. I was, and I'll I'll interrupt for a second. Um, I um denied um denied about the sand beige one that was for sale in um, Melbourne. 69 sand beige that was for sale at the beginning of COVID. And I didn't buy it, and I should have bought it, and it was 90 grand. And yeah. that's my biggest regret. That's the 912 that I really love because I love that sand beige color. I think it's, you know, for me, it's a, it's a great color. Um, and that was, you know, that was that guy advertised that for the, at the beginning of 2020, I think. He had it at 82 and then he put it up to 89. It took ages to sell. I actually did talk to him about it, um, but I never went through with it because it was just, I don't know, it just seemed too difficult from where I was at the time being in Bahrain. Uh, I think that it's really, you look at the three cars that I've got, the yep. Speedster, the 73, and the 912, which are all wanted-type cars, I guess. Yes. Um, none of them were a car sales or advertising. They are all word of mouth, all three of my cars. That's what I was going to get into, that the fact that, you know, you found these cars, and it just shows you that, you know, you can't – the advertised cars, you know, are, you know, sure there's advertised cars, but the, but the good cars are the ones that aren't advertised, aren't they? It's the ones through word of mouth. It's the ones that, you know, a neighbor's got this, you might like it. Or it's the ones where people stumble across, you know, someone's told me the story where they stumble across a garage and then someone's got a old 911 in and there and it's like, oh, that just, you know, they want to get rid of it. Do you want it? You know, those stories still exist. Um, but what I think is interesting, I, Jeff. I think, Michael, yep. you make your own luck. I think you do make your own luck. But um, the other thing is, if you know, if, if you seriously want to, a 912 or a 356 or a 911T or, you know, any of this stuff, you've also got to have dry powder. You've got to have a little bit of money. I'm not saying lots of money, but you've got to, if, you know, you've got to have your budget ready so when a deal is sitting there in front of you and yes. you think you want that deal, you've got to be able to, to do that deal. Yes, so absolutely. With, with the 912, here's the bit I'm going to break your heart with. Um, yeah. When I was talking to the owner and I said, well, okay, how much do you want for it? Yeah. And I bought that car for $45,000. What? That was May last year. So that's May um, last year. That's the same time that the, the San Beige one, San Beige one, 69, was for sale in, in Melbourne. So, you know. And this is a right-hand yeah, drive. Well, this is a right-hand drive. The San Beige was a left-hand drive. Yeah, it, was right a, it was a New York car. That one was a New York car. Well, the, the other thing is the 912 came with its original log books. Yep. It did have receipts for the owner before the chap I bought it off, <laughs> because the wow. chap I bought it off literally 
did nothing. The rubbers had petrified. Um, it just hadn't had any money spent on it. It was so um, – uh, I was so not confident in that car. I'd actually ridden with the owner back right. from Melbourne in that car several years prior, and we nearly didn't make it then. Um, so the deal was I paid 45 and he had to bring it to my work because I wasn't going to drive it See, that bad. that price, you know – and obviously, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, people have, who own 912s in the UK that I, that I talk to regularly, obviously the 912 prices have gone a bit crazy, right? Um, you know, yeah. bringing a trailer in the US has been part of the, the culprit to this. I mean, 912 prices have jumped a lot. And, and I've always said that even on Beverly Hills Car Club that has, you know, not great examples or whatever that was selling for 29000 are now selling for 59000 you know, almost the same sort of car that they were selling, you know, beginning of 2020. So the prices have jumped a lot what i'm interested in though and i'm sure the listeners are too is you've got this 356 speedster right under restoration you've got the 911 te you've had lots of 356s you've had other 911s scs and and g50s what was it about the 912 because we everyone knows the 912 is not everyone's first choice it's become people's choice because of the price and then now people are appreciating the 912 for what it is you know the lightness of it even with that smaller engine what was it that, that made you think, I need a 912, a 912 in my collection? I'd never owned one. I'd never owned one. I'd heard good things. Um, and the thing that interested me was it's basically it's a, a, a 356 motor, of course, but it's got the five-speed gearbox, and which really interested me. Uh, this one's got the five-speed. And um, uh, I don't know. He had two Porsches I could have bought, and that was the one. I, I actually chose that one because uh, okay. it just really interested me. And I don't like red. I don't like red either. But it was red, so that's what it is. Um, but the thing with that car was, it was, once again, um, I tracked down the previous owner to that car, and okay. this is the interesting... So once again, I start making my phone calls and working out. Now, the previous owner of that car, who'd owned it 32, 34 years ago, whatever it is, um, He's in his 80s, but he owns a Mercedes service center here at Leichhardt in Sydney. Really? Same name. I thought, well, that's a coincidence. I'll okay. ring him. And I rang him, and he was over the moon. The car was still around. Wow. And he said to me, he said, I bought that car when it was six months old. Wow. And I went, you're joking. So I said, look, the car is here at my office. If you'd like to come here, um, we can get two chairs, and we can just sit there and talk about the history of the car. And he says, I'll be there in, in an hour. And he was. We sat down, had a coffee, and then he starts laying out the history on this car. It just made my research so much easier because he did it all for me because he was the owner. Yeah. And have we got time to talk about the history of this car? Because this is it's an interesting thing. Yeah, sure, sure. Let's keep going. So, but but this is the thing. You said it was it was delivered in Kenya, right? Yeah, Mombasa. Mombasa in Mombasa. So, oh well, went through the port of Mombasa. Um, I think Nairobi is that. Yeah, it was, the car's Kenyan delivered. It was delivered through a dealer called... How did it end up in Australia? Uh, an, he was an Australian that was working in Kenya. Oh, okay. And he was, he was a mechanic by trade. Right. Um, and his wife was a lawyer. And what had happened was... good. So he was into MGs and, and the like. And his a friend of his... Uh, I hope I get the guy's name right. Peter Sargentson, bought the car brand new, the 912, and he bought it to do circuit racing, club racing, and rallying. 
He used it for six months in circuit racing and rallying, and I've actually got a picture of the thing racing on the circuit over there. And then he realised it's not quick enough. Right. So he, uh, I think he was quite tall. That's why he ordered the extended hub steering wheel because tall people have the extended hub steering wheel so they can get the seat position, get the seat back further for the pedals. But, of course, the steering wheel wasn't there when I bought the car, and okay. we'll get to that. Um, he owned it six months. So he said to the, the Porsche dealer over there, which is also the VW dealer, which is also an SO petrol station, <laughs> uh, Gordon Crow. Gordon was going to the to Stuttgart. So he said to Gordon, the 912's not quick enough. I want a 911S because they were just being released. You know, yes. uh, he wanted one of those. Gordon goes to the factory and walks past the works department and they're building what's called, and some of the real Porsche nuts will know these cars. He was They were building 911 um, TSs, which are full race cars. So they're basically the RS before there was an RS. Right. And um, he managed to negotiate a deal to get uh, one of these, uh, so, so, what am I saying? Uh, ST, ST. Yes. So he, he negotiated at the same price as an S to get an ST, right-hand drive in burnt orange. Wow. That car, I think it just changed hands in the UK for some criminal amount of money. It's a very, very rare car. It's like I said, an RS before there was an RS. So Bob gets this uh, 912 in Kenya. There are only five Porsches in Kenya. Yep. And what happened yep. is every year the East African Rally, very famous rally, Yes. And the Porsche enter a race team. Uh, oh, sorry, a race rally team. At the time, uh, not a, not then a racing driver, but the actual head mechanic in charge of the team was a chap called Jurgen Barth. Yes. Relation to yours? I don't know. No. <laughs> I like to look twice at that when you saw, when you sent that to me, and it's like slight different spelling, but yeah, sounds the same. Yeah. Well, Jurgen Barth ended up as a very famous. Uh, racing driver for um, Porsche, but before that he was uh, well, literal engineers, but he was a mechanic, but he was also in charge of the rally team. So when he was over there with, with their uh, factory uh, rally car in 1968, I believe it was. Yes. He um, Bob uh, Bob was also a mechanic, and they based themselves out of, of course, the Porsche dealership over there. Bob assisted them, so when they went back to took the the rally car back to Stuttgart, um, Bob got gifted the genuine uh, Fouche alloys off the race car and they were put onto the 912. Wow. The following year, when they came out again, Bob would help them and they gifted the uh, 911S steering wheel off the rally car to the 912. Wow. Uh, the year after that. So tell me you have, the, you have those, right? You, you have those. I still have those. So <laughs> genuine Porsche. So when I bought this car, when I bought the 912, it was it came on a, which are quite rare, it came on a set of 911S alloys, 8 stamp 67. Okay. But they are um, 15 by, uh, they're 15 by 5 and a half. So right. very, very early 911S rims. Basically, they only released 911S in 67. So these rims had red paint on the, on the centres in certain positions on all four wheels. Right. And I thought a kid had done it. Anyway, one of the historians of one of the 
Type 901 Association is that their factory rally markings, these wheels have never been restored. So I'm lucky the guy I bought the car with never did anything, so he never restored them. When I talked to Bob, Bob, Bob knew they were, he said, well, that's where they came. They came from the rally car and they had the markings on the wheels, something to do with those markings were for that rally car, something like that. But wow. um, I still have I still have the Fushis, yes. yes. They're not on the car at the moment because my idea was to bring it back to a stock-looking car, but I have the genuine steering wheel. I have the uh, the Fushis as well. That's and, a great uh, story. Great things to great things to have and sort of uncovered, right? Well, like just something you just sort of come across. That's right. No one, no one knew that. No one knew it. Yeah, and the value, the value of that. I said to the previous owner, um, those wheels would probably be valuable to someone trying to rebuild original factory rally car because they're unrestored. They've still got the factory red, red paint on them. They've yeah. been touched. The historic value of the of that steering wheel and, and the stories and the we and the Fuchs, you know, like it's just it's just crazy what you just come across, and and I hate to say it, you paid forty five thousand dollars for this car. Very on a, on a <laughs> yeah, but they're very rare parts on a, on a very normal little car. Yeah. But my, look, here's the other thing. Okay, when I bought the nine twelve, the only departures from original were those wheels, the steering wheel. Yep cassette player in the dashboard. The car had a, a short shift gear lever. Right. It had Weber carburetors. Right. Now, all the original bits came with the car. So I got the original Solexes. I got the original gear stick. Um, I, I got the original hubcaps, but I didn't get the original wheels because I said to Bob, did you bring the steel wheels when you came out from, when they emigrated? Uh, he said, no, they were steel wheels. Why would I bother bringing them? Yeah. So he didn't bring the, the wheels. Okay. But he bought the hubcaps. So are they the hubcaps you sent uh, me the image of? You have the original hubcaps. They're the hubcaps the car was delivered with. The wheels, I've managed to track down a set of steel rims. Yeah. Uh, date stamped fifth month '67 for a set of five out of South Australia. Okay. And I had I had to restore them, but the wheels matched the car. Those oh, that's hubcap good. wheels matched the car. But the point with these cars, any car, this is the way I work is um, some people would probably like that car the way I bought it. The Fouche Alloys, the 911S steering wheel, yep. the uh, Weber Carbys, the short shift. Yep. For me, seeing I'd never had a 912, I put it all back to original. So she's got standard gear stick back in it. I've got the original 912 steering wheel on it. I've got the original Solexes rebuilt and back on the car. The motor's been rebuilt. I would um, do the same, And Jeff. I've put up that wheel. Yeah, I would do the same. That's what I like, but, and I like it original for the 912. But, yeah, the wheels, the fuchsias, of course, I've still got the, the tyres are date stamped 34 years old. The Michelin's <laughs> are 34 years on. Yeah. So they're still, got, they're still holding air. So I've, I've got the original fuchs wheels. I just don't know what to do with them. Um, yeah, just I, keep I, them. No, I'm not throwing them away. I'm just gonna, I'll just keep them. Yeah, yeah just keep them. Part but, of the history, uh, part of the story. How do you go? A, a quick question. I mean, we're going to have to end soon because we're getting into the into past sure. the hour. But Sorry, man. I, no, 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 not at all. But I just want to say about the Solex carburetors, the carburetors, you know, and I know a lot of people change it to Weber. Um, I'm, I'm a fan of having the original carbs on the car. Is there a good specialist in Sydney that, that fixes those, that can tune them properly, can, can you know, make them perfect? Um, yes. Yeah, there is. Um, I, I, I've used my... my Porsche mechanic who I used, he right. rebuilt them and he, he does beautiful work. 
But um, there's a company called Carburetor Services on uh, Parramatta Road that do beautiful work as well. If you don't know a mechanic, right? And um, there, there are people. He look. He rebuilt the motor um, as well as have done the the carbines. So with that car, the nine twelve, uh, when COVID hit, remember I bought this car when COVID hit. Yes. I walked next door to a panel shop at my my work, and uh, they they like Porsches, and they saw this lovely classic old Porsche, and people. I really want to help you, especially on the classic old Porsches. So he said, look, I've got all these guys standing around doing nothing. But when COVID hit, people stopped doing things. Like yeah. people stopped getting their cars painted or repaired. He says, we can paint it, but we, we don't know how to pull it apart. And I said, well, that's fine. I'll pull it apart. So I pulled it apart, gave it to him. They painted that car. But okay. it's, um, it, it's a good paint job. I've had the motor rebuilt, the suspension done. I'm leaving the trim alone. And it's just a driver, just a driver car. But once again, sorry, Jeff, the original important. the original paint was a bit rough, was it? Yeah, I thought it had rust because it had bubbles. Okay, but it wasn't. It was a paint reaction because the car coming out of Kenya, there was a reaction that must be filled with all the bloody red dust. Yeah. Uh, so when we pulled the paint off it, there was no rust. Right. Um, well, that's good. No rust at all. So we're very lucky. The, the thing with this car is, and I know everyone talks about matching numbers, this car has a blank engine case. It's a factory replacement engine case. So okay. there is no engine number at all stamped on the engine case. Okay. So I say to Bob, I said, did you change the engine case? Remember, he's a mechanic. And he said, Jeff, with the red dust in Kenya, he said, this car's had two Porsche factory replacement engine cases because the red dust just killed the motors, just killed them. So... I've got a, a motor in that car without an engine number on it. The engine number is engraved on the generator stand. I think I've I've seen cars advertised with that 912s or 911s with that where it doesn't have the engine number. And people were like correcting yeah. them and saying it wasn't a matching numbers. What is this engine? How come it has a weird engine number or something? I remember seeing it. It might have been bring a trailer or something in the comments or collecting cars where people put all their comments down. Um, and I remember seeing that. But so that's the reason. Even now, you can go to Porsche and buy a replacement case. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. You can, can't you? Yeah. Um, okay, so your three car and Porsches, like I said, we're getting towards the end here, um, Jeff, but three, your three car and Porsches, you've got the 68 912, beautiful. I'm very envious of that one. The 1973 911 uh, Porsche TE uh, and your 56 Speedster. Which one do you think is going to get the most road time? The 912. The 912. And, and I'm not saying that because you like 912s. The 912, because the 912 has been built as a, as a driver. The problem with the 911 is it's been a very expensive restoration with all the right people have done all the right things. Yes. And it is pristine. Um, right. I, uh, trim was done in Melbourne by the guy who does all of the trim work for Porsche Classics. That's yep. Porsche Australia, for yep. the classic edition. The motor was rebuilt. The 2.4 was rebuilt by the guy who does, my mechanic who does uh the motors for Porsche Classic Division. Right. Um, and that's what I'm saying. If you, if you buy a 912, you could project manage, restore it, and use all the right people and get the great results. The, the, I, I'm, I'm my own worst enemy with that 911 because I used all the right people, body, trim, I, East Coast suspension, did all of this suspension set up. I used all the right people. That 911 is spectacular, and I'm just about too scared to use it. This <laughs> How are you going to be but with the, the, the speedster? Oh, that'll be 
Oh, I, I don't even want to think. About that. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I That's going to be harder. So the nine twelves are one. Okay, let's 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 well, move the nine on. Twelve a driver. Yeah. Nine twelves a driver. So let's get on to the, the to the last part of the podcast that I always like to ask for you know for all the overseas listeners. People are, are going to be able to travel again soon. I've got my ticket to Australia after waiting three hours on the phone the other day to Singapore Airlines. Um, people can travel if they're coming to Australia, Jeff. Um, and they want to take their 911 or people who live in Sydney or Australia, they want to take the 911 on a great road. What's, what's one of your favorite roads or favorite roads you, you're going to take your 912 on or you have taken the 912 on? Uh, well, I like going to Akuna Bay for a coffee. Now, the people around the world, Akuna Bay is Boratar National Park, where the home of Skippy. But there's some lovely, during the week, there's some lovely little windy roads. It's still in Sydney. It's nice and close. There's a, you know, there's water, there's scenery, there's twisty stuff as long as the people aren't out on their bicycles. And it's, you know, you can, you can basically just do that quick little run in, you know, an hour or two and it's, you know, you can get back on with your day. I, I, I enjoy that run. I might have to do that. Is that the? That's not the road um, past Church Point there, off Monavale Road, where you go around the back. It's not that road, is it? That cuts through the national um, park. Keep in mind, you're talking to a guy who grew up in Queensland, uh, <laughs> Waratah National Park. So um, I know how to get there. It's off. Um, is it off? Oh, I'm trying to think of the name of the road. I can't even. Yeah, like it's. It is like if you're going to the beaches. Yes, yes it's off onto your. Uh, left. Uh, that's correct. Yeah, I think I know that one. I think I've yeah I've been on that road. I think I know the road you mean. Yeah, well, it's, it's called Akuna Bay. There's a lovely little cafe there, but really twisty, lovely roads, but nice. not on the weekend. If you do it during the week, you could burn a couple of very pleasant hours up, and then you can get you know back to the office or you know back to doing your chores around the house. For me, fantastic. Um, so I can I can normally sneak off there. Yes, Jeff, what a great story. 20 plus years, you know, 20 plus years. You got Your wife must be very um, enthusiastic about Porsches as well if you've had that many Porsches over the like, 19 Porsches since, uh, she, since she, you she started. She's blind eye. But it wasn't just 356s. I mean, maybe maybe in the future we can talk about the 928S I had or the, you know, the Porsche Fox Duress and just other things that have uh, come. But, uh, yeah, I like the three that I've got. I'm sort of happy with where I'm at at the moment. So you stop looking? I always like to ask that question. You stop looking? No, none of us stop looking. We're always looking. And even though I don't even believe I'd be able to get a, a deal off um, car sales because everyone wants a lot. But yeah. um, no, I'm always looking because I, I sort of thought, like I said, the, the 73 will probably not stay with me forever. The 912, yeah. sorry, is not going anywhere. Yeah. And the Speedster is my, my dream 356. But the, the 73... Um, if I sold that, uh, I, you know, I'd like a car like uh, your co-host Steve's car. That's what I would like. I'd okay. like one of those. So that well, 73 would probably get me. It's probably a direct swap, isn't it? It's probably a direct swap with some money back to you, I think. Can you ask Steve? <laughs> I, I feel like he's <laughs> like a, I don't a, know. a classic brand delivered 73. Steve and he's classic. He does, Steve's not a big into the classics. Uh, he still doesn't understand my 912 um, uh thing that i want he doesn't understand it i know he doesn't but it's all about the experience jeff well, they're, two, they're, they're absolutely two different things but yeah i talk to steve you never know he might do a deal for me. i'll tell him i'll tell him 